You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Hey, this is Ryan Denmark, the director of Health Heart, and you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. Welcome to Aaron's Horror Show. I'm a writer, musician, and filmmaker. On this show, we are going to go ahead and discuss horror and read some horror fiction. So sit back, turn out the lights, and enjoy the show. Hi, you're listening to Aaron's Horror Show, and I'm your host, Aaron Frail, and we have a listener story for you today. So we're going to go ahead and hear A Simple Crime by Brett Giles. Get your lazy ass out of bed, Craig, my wife was saying. I pulled the covers down and made an exaggerated yawn. She was already fully dressed. She tried to make an angry face, but I knew that she was entertained by my antics. I picked up the alarm clock from next to the bed, 8.30. Breakfast is getting cold. Jane seemed so beautiful. Her beauty made the stern look she was giving me even more frightening, but less persuasive. Making my voice hoarse and giving her the most sickly face I could manage, I said, It's Saturday. Give me a break. You promised we'd get some things done today, she said. That I had. Jane can be very good at convincing me to do things, especially on Friday night when she has time to put down her hair and slip into something a bit more comfortable. Now it was Saturday and I had to deal with the consequences. After I got out of the shower, I had this strange, inexplicable urge to go into the closet. Once I was inside, I looked at the shelf above my clothes, shifted a stack of books that I had saved from college, and I saw a lockbox where I kept my gun. As I extended my hand to touch it, I felt the strange sensation go up through my body. I would say it was like it was there to do something at the tip of my tongue, but it wasn't worth. It was like the whole world was somewhere in my mind, and the key to it was within my lockbox. Though I knew all I really kept in there was my gun. After pulling my hand away, I experienced such a powerful combination of dread, anger, confusion, that I decided best to ignore the lockbox altogether. I walked to the kitchen and looked at my wife. What else are we going to do today? I asked. I wrapped my eggs and bacon in a piece of bread, settling for a makeshift breakfast since I had slept in. Don't you have any plans? she asked. I should have seen that one coming. We can do what you want, I said, and I opened the fridge looking for the orange juice. She looked at me like I should be shot and handed me a pitcher of juice from off the table. Absolute silence resounded as I downed the entire glass. I am a slow drinker. Had been this way from the beginning with us. Now I was supposed to guess what idea she wanted to do, but it made it sound like my idea somehow. How about, I said, 
we go to dinner at that nice Italian restaurant and then go to see the show. For a moment, she seemed reluctant to break her silence and waste her breath on such a foolish idea. But finally she said, What show? And then she grabbed her purse and walked out the door. I followed her, walking quickly to keep up. Uh, there's a new Tarantino film out. I, I heard it's his best since Reservoir Dogs. It, uh, this was a complete lie. But Jane hadn't even known who Tarantino was until I told her. Sounds fine, she said, and dropped back into complete silence. This time the angry look was genuine. I beat her to the elevator and pressed the call button. While we waited, I leaned against the wall and stared at her. She still wasn't talking. After five years of marriage, I couldn't decide if she was more beautiful when she was angry or when she was sleeping. Either way, she was gorgeous. I still don't know what she saw in a guy like me. The elevator door was closing before I even realized it had arrived. Jane had gotten on without me. Instead of trying to stick my arm out the door before it closed, I pushed the call button again. The bell rang once more, and this time, when the door opened, I was ready and waiting. As soon as I had a foot on board, Jane was pressing the closed door button. Thanks for holding the elevator, I said. She scowled at me and muttered something under her breath and stood far away from me as she could get herself. Her eyes were a beautiful mixture of brown and blue. When she was happy, they were blue, and when she was angry, they get darker. Now they were almost black. I kept my distance and maintained the silence. When we finally made it to my car, she still hadn't said another word. I unlocked the door and opened it for her. As I walked around the car to get in the driver's seat, I looked at the car. It was still in good condition, even though it was over ten years old. I sat in the car and thought for a moment, staring through the window at the bloodstains in the back seat, remembering the day of the accident. It happened two months after we were married. I was studying in my parents' den. We didn't have enough money for both an apartment and college tuition, so my parents were letting us stay with them. Jane came running in. Her eyes were puffed up and her nose was running. For a long time, she could barely even talk. Baby, what's wrong? She was still sobbing too hard to even talk. I put my arms around her and held her. Easy, I said. It, it's okay. Craig, I'm scared she said. She was starting to worry me. Jane, talk to me, I said. I'm bleeding, she said. I looked down and saw what she meant. There was a patch of blood quickly spreading across her jeans, and she had wiped a bloody hand on her shirt. We're going to the hospital right now, I said, and grabbed my keys and ran to the car. I sat there in the car waiting for several seconds before I realized that Jane hadn't followed me. I ran back to my house to get her and found her lying on the couch. Not more than ten feet from where I'd first seen the blood. Craig, help me, she said. I could barely understand through her sobs. Somehow I knew what to do. I had the strength to do it. I picked her up and carried her in my arms to the car. When I tried to lay her in the back seat, she looked at me and she said she wanted to be next to me. I know she didn't want to be alone. I held her for a minute and as soon as she calmed down a bit, I moved to the front seat and pulled the car away. It's my wife. I told the nurse as I ran into the hospital. I think she's having a miscarriage. That got her attention all right. In less time than taking me to start the car, there was a stretcher wheeling my wife into a room. The nurses took her in and told me they would let her know as soon as they knew anything. An hour later, the doctor came to me. He had curly black hair and looked like James Earl Jones' twin brother. Mr. Kennedy, he said. Come with me, he said. 
He took me back into an empty examination room where two nurses were discussing something. How long have you been married? he asked. I could tell that it was not a real question. After I told him, he motioned to the nurses and they both left the room. It was just me and this doctor who hadn't even told me his name yet. Do you have a good relationship with Jane? he asked. The look on his face accused me of a horrible crime, and I was beginning to imagine what it was. I always treat her with respect, I said. He walked past me and locked the door of the room. He then turned to me and said, She claims that she fell down a flight of stairs. This was impossible. My wife would never fall down a flight of stairs. I knew this was an accusation for some reason. Maybe the doctor was even making up Jane's claim about the stairs to rattle me into a confession. I didn't like what this guy was insinuating, and I wondered if what he was doing was even legal. I stewed on my options for a while and then said, Look, doctor, whatever your name is, I don't abuse my wife. Nonetheless, he said, we want to keep her here for a time, for observation, you understand. Perfectly, I said. Even now, more than five years later, that day in the doctor's office is crystal clear in my mind. After staring at the bloodstains for what seemed like forever, I walked into my door and got in and put a key in the ignition. I turned to Jane. Where are we going first? I asked. We have to pick up a package from the post office, she said, but I think we'll go by the bank and deposit all these checks. I turned the key to start the car, but instead of a normal engine noise, I heard an all-too-familiar sputter and a clicking sound. Did you get the alternator replaced? I asked. I haven't had time lately, she said. She opened a door and started walking across the parking lot. It was hot outside, and I was not in the mood for a lot of walking. I could see why she hadn't got the car fixed when I told her to. I had ridden the bus for three weeks so she could take it in, but she still hadn't. I followed her, but stuck my hands in my pockets and kept my distance from her. I asked you to do that three weeks ago, I said. Sorry, she said and kept walking. Where are we going now, I asked. To the bank, she said. We can take my car. About an hour later, we finally got to the bank. Jane can always find more things to do once we were out and about. Honey, I said, I think we should get some cash back. You know how much I hate having cash around the house, Craig. She said. She filled out a deposit form as she talked, and I wondered how accurately she could do both at once. What if we had an emergency, I asked, or, or we need to leave a tip? Fine, she said. Have it your way, as usual. As she said this, I noticed a man in the teller booth pull something metallic and black out of his jacket. Okay, babe, I said. Just calm down. The man had pulled out a gun and was aiming it at the teller. Don't call me babe, she said, and she turned around and started walking towards the teller's desk. Jane, I said, come back! She turned towards me. Stop bossing me around! She was only about half a dozen feet from the holdup when she finally realized what was happening. The robber turned around and pointed the gun at her. Don't come any closer, he said. I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't... I said stay where you are. He was sweating and his hands were strangely focused on Jane, ignoring the rest of the room. I was coming to... He shot her right in the chest. She collapsed on the floor. 
It didn't look like she was moving, but he shot her six more times. Did this man have something against my wife? He had never seen her before, but he shot her seven times. Was he insane? What did she do to make him so mad? In the silence that followed the seventh shot, I began to question my own sanity. Was this a dream? What kind of person dreams of things like this? Nobody else moves, the robber said. He tucked the pistol back in his pants and headed towards the door. For the longest time, I just stood there, staring at him as he walked, hating him for what he had done. Finally, I moved towards him. He didn't see me until I was almost touching him. Before he could react to seeing me, I grabbed the pistol sticking out of his pants and aimed it at his head. You killed her, I said. He turned his head and his nose nearly touching the gun barrel. His eyes were staring at me. He slowly pulled a shotgun out of his coat. I couldn't pull the trigger. I could have easily gotten a shot off, but something in my mind, something in my nerves wouldn't let me do it. I dropped the gun. Now everyone, just stay where you are. A car pulled up in front of the bank. The robber turned around and headed for it. As soon as he turned, I bolted towards the door, determined to do something. But before I could even get to the door, I saw a flash from the car outside and felt a hammer hit me in the shoulder. I reached up to touch where I had been hit, and my hand came away covered in blood. Two more shots struck me, one square in the chest, one in the stomach. I fell against the wall. There was a copper taste in my mouth, and it was warm, sticky fluid in my throat. The whole room started going out of focus. I fell to the floor on my stomach. Jane was only a few feet away. I pulled myself towards her. There was a lot of blood on the floor, but somehow, for some reason, maybe because the divine providence was giving us one last chance to say goodbye, or maybe it was my own stubborn will, I reached her. I turned to her towards me, and I closed her eyelids and kissed her. I'm sorry, I said. I couldn't stop it. I lay with my good arm around my wife and sobbed until everything faded again. I heard the old R.E.M. song, Everybody Hurts, get louder and louder as the details in the room got fuzzier and fuzzier. Finally, all I could hear was that song, and then nothing at all. The next thing I remember, my alarm clock going off. I stepped out of bed carefully. I didn't want to aggravate my injuries. Strangely, I didn't feel any pain at all. I walked into my bathroom and looked at myself. Something wasn't right. Were there bandages? Were there scars? Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. How long am I, have I been out of it? I walked back into the bedroom and that's when I saw Jane lying in bed. I walked over to her and she turned around and looked up at me. You're alive! I said, very funny. She said, what happened to us? I asked. It was like my whole world was spinning backwards. We just slept in a bit, honey, she said. I reset the alarm clock and went back to bed. She sat up and looked at me longingly. I kissed her and felt it more real than ever, just as the kiss I gave her while she was dying minutes ago. Lay down, I said. I'll make you breakfast. As I left to go to the kitchen, I could faintly smell yesterday's perfume. It reminded me of the day I met her. That we were we were both alive, and it was a wonderful and strange to me. I found that I was holding back tears, grateful yet still somehow not convinced that her death had totally been a dream. 
I instinctively went to make eggs and bacon for breakfast, and that's what Jane had made me before she died. Things need to be different this time. I knew it didn't make any sense, but I couldn't help but thinking if I could change one thing, the nightmare would come true. If I had known how to make anything worthwhile, I would have made her the best breakfast in bed ever. As it was, I ended up making hot oatmeal. When she was ready, I entered the bedroom to get Jane. She was still lying in bed. As she stood up, I stared at her. She faced the window, looking out at the day. "'Jane!' I said. "'Breakfast!' I saw dark wet spots appearing on her back. She turned to face me. I saw six gaping holes in her chest. "'That's not right,' I thought. "'They shouldn't go all the way through. "'I should not be able to see the inside of her. "'Not, not, not through of her.' Greg, she said. What's wrong? I looked up her face and wonder how scared I looked. Did she have any idea what had happened? And then I looked at her body and all the wounds were gone. She had no more injuries than me. And now she was trembling because I had frightened her so badly. Nothing, dear, I said. I just had the strangest feeling. I smiled at her and reassured her that everything was okay. Over breakfast, I was silent. I didn't know what to say. Everything seemed so fragile. Uh, we need to go deposit all these checks today. Uh, okay, I said. Is that all right? The look on her face was a thousand different things. Concern, love, fear, confusion. But mostly it said I had promised to run errands that day, and I would. Regardless of what I thought might or might not happen, I was not going to let one dream, however realistic, ruin my day. I grabbed my keys and headed for the door. Let's get going, I said. We talked all the way to the car. This time, everything was going well. When I got there, I turned to ask her about my car. She was only a few feet from me. I saw blood start to run down her face in between her eyes as I watched a bullet wound appeared in the center of her forehead. Craig, she said, is everything okay? The look of concern returned to her face, but the bullet wound still didn't leave. Uh, did you ever get the alternator replaced? I asked. She moved her hand to her forehead, rubbed it as she always does when she realized she made a mistake. I was going to vomit. Her hands were massaging the wound. She was thinking about the car. There was blood on her forehead, but her hands were somehow not bloody at all. I must have forgotten, she said. I'm sorry. She moved her hands to her head and looked me in the eye. The wound was gone, as well as the blood. Uh, we'll take your car, I said. Nobody would want to walk in this heat. I was already about to pass out. As we walked across the parking lot, I admired how beautiful Jane was. That seemed strange, since only a few seconds before, I had seen her covered in blood. But life is sometimes strange. Somehow seeing her in that grotesque state, and then realizing that she really wasn't that way, made her all the more beautiful to me. I spent some time there in the parking lot showing her how beautiful I thought she was. With every second, I felt my sanity slipping away. I wanted to touch her, I needed to, but at the same time, with every kiss, I dreaded that instead of her lipstick, I would taste blood, and yet I kept kissing her. We made it to the bank just after ten o'clock. I walked around and opened Jane's door for her. When she got out of the car, I grabbed her hand. She hesitated for a moment, not sure how to react. After a moment of awkwardness, she smiled, took my hand, kissed me on the cheek, we walked through the doors of the bank, as expected it was crowded. The man in the black mask walked past the window at that time. 
As soon as I saw him, I knew something had to change. I knew that I would not let anything come in between me and my wife again. Not a robber, not some crazy miscarriage, not anything. All my memories of losing Jane, of feeling her die in my arms, of trying desperately to save her, of the horror that followed came back to me. And I did the only thing I could. We need to leave now, I said. Jane looked at me confused. But we haven't gotten to the teller yet. Please trust me, I said. The robber was entering the bank and looked right at me. Did he recognize me somehow? Jane was making her way through the door to the opposite side of him. I desperately wanted nothing to happen to her. The robber fired his gun into the air, then pointed at me. Nobody moves, he said. And that didn't make any sense, I thought. Any intelligent robber would ignore the ro customers until he's in position to take the money from the teller. Everything was just turned around. Things like this didn't happen in the real world. I felt my sanity slipping away. So many things had happened. Maybe there was something wrong with me. Sane or not, I knew I wanted Jane to live, no matter what. Run! I yelled. I don't know why, but I was desperate. I ran towards the robber, and he shot me in the leg. Jane was running, but not fast enough. He shot her in the back, and then walked over and shot her once more in the head. Once he was sure she was dead, he walked over to me and kicked me in the side. That was stupid, man, he said. He turned around and continued his robbery. I passed out. But instead of a dream came a memory. When Jen made it home from the hospital a few days after a miscarriage, I was studying in a den. It took me a moment to notice that she had come in. When I saw her, I smiled and walked over the couch so we could sit together. Did the doctor tell you what happened? She asked. He told me everything, I said. I grabbed her by the hands and pulled her towards me. She felt cold. What now? She asked. She was crying again. What's that supposed to mean? I said. I got off the couch and walked towards the study, both irritated and concerned. Are, are we still together, e even though I'm not carrying your child anymore? Don't be stupid. Of course we're still together. I started pacing around the room. She walked over and touched my shoulder. Her touch calmed me down, and I looked her in the eyes. Just know, she said, that I'll understand if we split up. Split up, I said. And what will everyone say if we get divorced right after your miscarriage? Oh, she said. So now it's what real people think of us. Jane, this marriage has always been about what people think. When the memory passed, I sensed the floor beneath me again. I somehow found the strength to stand. I felt like my leg was going to explode with pain, but I knew I had to do this. Nothing could bring my wife back, but at least I could get revenge. If I couldn't stop the regrets about my own stupid past, I'd have to lie there and let the murderer get away. I limped up to the robber, grabbed him by the throat, and pushed him against the wall and saw the gun fall out of his hand. Before he could react, I picked it up, I shot him seven times, and looked around the room at all the people who were still standing there, frozen in fear. "'What's wrong with you?' I asked. The death of the robber had not satiated my rage. It was like the dam that had kept me sane through all this insanity had finally burst. "'Just calm down.' The police will be here any minute, said a teller. I pointed the gun at him. You watch her die and didn't even raise your finger, I said. I walked towards the teller until I could only see him. Don't do anything crazy, he said. Sweat was starting to run down his face. The crowd was looking at me as they looked at the robber just a few minutes ago. I was different from the robber, though. I wasn't after money. 
I wanted him to pay for not protecting my wife. We were standing there, me aiming the robber's pistol at the teller when the police arrived. They were in riot gear, ran to the bank like they were invading the country. Drop the weapon, one of them said, and I turned to him and put him in my sights. Don't do anything crazy, he said. How many people were going to tell me that? My wife had died twice now. Nobody had done anything to stop it. It doesn't get crazier than that. Tell with you, I said, and I squeezed out nothing. I was out of bullets. I felt something pierce me. An electric jolt passed through my whole body. Before I knew it, I was on the floor. The room started going black again. Later, I felt someone grab me by the arm. Where I was and what happened to me, I didn't know at first. Then, in an instant, I remembered. I swung around, knocking someone to the ground. Surviving was out of the question for me. I was cornered and outnumbered, but I would take some of them down with me. I searched frantically for a gun. Greg, a voice said. What are you doing? Stop. For a second, I could not decide if I was at the bank or somewhere else. Gradually, I realized it was Jane's voice that had been coming from the bed the whole time. She looked up at me from the ground where she had fallen. Are you okay, Craig? Finally, I could see again. Jane looked just as beautiful as she had on any other day. I just stared at her for a while and then smiled. Everything's perfect, I said. I just had a bad dream. I looked out the window. It was another beautiful spring morning. I was happy to be alive to see it. Well, you need to hurry and get dressed. She handed me a blue polo shirt and my, my khaki pants. Why? I asked. The bank closes at noon on Saturdays. She smiled and went to the kitchen to finish breakfast, bacon and eggs. I pulled the curtains closed and turned the lights off and lay back down with my hands over my face. I was going to be sick. It was happening again. There was something I was not understanding, not doing. Just beyond where my mind could take me, there was something that would fix all this. And suddenly, I knew how I could do it. I had one more chance. I walked over the closet. I opened it above the clothes, still hidden behind the old books. Jane wanted to throw out was that small, fireproof box. I didn't merely brush it with my fingertips this time, but moved straight to the dial. My hands shook as I tried to get the safe open. Finally, I found what I was looking for, a black Glock 9mm. Though I hadn't used it since I had married Jane, it was still warm, like someone had recently fired it. Immediately after my mind registered the warmth of the gun, I saw blood on my hands. I turned around. Blood on my hands, my shirt, the bed, everywhere. I looked to the bedroom door, dazed. The doorknob was covered in blood as well. I opened it. Jane was lying on the floor of our living room. Bruises were forming on her face. Her left arm looked like it had been broken, and she had been crying. She had gunshot wounds I immediately recognized in her head. Her body... I knew she was dead. The phone was lying only inches from her right hand. Her bloody fingerprints coated its surface. I picked it up. There was still someone online. Hello, ma'am? An unfamiliar and panicked voice said in my ear. What was there to say? Had there been a horrible accident? Had someone killed my wife? Nothing came to mind. Ma'am, is he still in the house? I, I, I think she's dead, I said. I hung up the phone. All I wanted to do was sit and wait for the ambulance. Someone had to pay for my wife's murder. I could already hear sirens down the street. I looked out the window. It wasn't an ambulance, but a police cruiser. At first, I didn't know what to think when the police handcuffed me. I would never kill my wife, but I didn't blame the police. The murderer, whoever he was, simply knew exactly how to cover his tracks. It was a dangerous world. In spite of me, he had killed her. In spite of my gun and everything I'd tried to do, in the end, I couldn't protect my wife. 
he still killed her. All right, Brett Giles, thank you so much for submitting that uh, story there. Sorry about little stumbles here and there with the story, but all right, thank you so much. That was great stuff. Keep sending your stories in, and uh, I'll go ahead and leave you with that. If you want to go ahead and get a hold of the show, it is Aaron's Horror Show at Gmail. Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook and Aaron Horror Show on Twitter. Don't forget Monday nights, Real Paranormal Activity, your real ghost stories. Tuesday nights are myself and Wednesday nights with Terry and then the Sandman's Lullaby, which you'll just have to listen for that one. All right. Thank you and have a good night.